0: We're going to be turning to Galatians chapter five, verses one through twelve in just a moment. If you begin to want to turn there, Galatians chapter five, verses one to twelve in a Bible you brought with you, or a pew Bible, or a smartphone. Just keep the Facebook app closed, and we'll be in good shape. I'm going to see if I can. Yeah, just leave it there. That's good. The slide. Since my clickers having issues. When I was training for my first marathon. Allow me to set up this passage talking about marathon running. Um, It does relate, I promise. When I was training for my first marathon, I would try to run a really, really long route each week. I'm not really sure how far it was because I only completed it once. And the one time I completed it, my phone app quit working. I have an app called Map My Run, and I can start it, and it's a GPS running app. Now I have a little watch, too, and I compare the two. But um, as a little aside, it's crazy, because if you get used to running with a GPS running app and it doesn't work properly, it makes me feel like the run doesn't really count. It's like you got to do it all over again. The workout didn't count. So the one time I ran the whole route, it didn't work. A car tracked it at 26 miles, but that may not have been accurate. The, The tires may have been off on the speedometer. Then I tracked it with another car, and it was about 27 miles, so it was around 26, 27 miles, and I only completed it once. But January through April 2013, I tried every week, I tried to complete this route. And every week, I thought that was going to be the week I was going to complete this running route. And every week, at around 17 miles, I would crest a hill, on Georgetown Road, it was a very hilly road, and I would crest a hill and the wind would bump up against me and I would think, why am I doing this? And I would pull out my phone and call Megan and every week she would say, where are you at? I'll come get you. And then I would run another couple miles until I saw her in downtown Holmworth, which is a really small little area. But every week during that little phase, I never planned on running a marathon. What happened was I started running in 2011, and then I started increasing the distance and increasing the distance, and my body wasn't used to running. So as I started running, I lost weight. I lost about 45 pounds. I've gained most of it back uh, since, because my body got used to it. And so running got more and more enjoyable as I lost weight. And so then I thought, let me break 10 miles, and I did. And then January 2013, I wanted to break 20 miles and I did then I thought let's sign up for a marathon well here's the point like I said it does relate every week I'd wake up on my long run day and I would think I don't really feel like running But a couple hours later, I was so excited to go try to conquer these hills and finish this long run. And I would start what I thought was good. My pace was good. And then about 10 miles, I would know I was starting to slow down. And about 15, I really was feeling the hills and the wind and starting to slow down. So regardless of how good I started on the run, never finished it. Mega would pick me up. And I would go home, finished, and I finished about 20, 21 miles each week. And I would get home and start stretching, and charlie horses would invade me, and I would just beat myself up for not finishing. Every week I wanted to finish. I started so good, at least in my opinion, probably not to professional runners, but I started so good, but I couldn't finish. In the passage we're going to look at today, Paul encourages the Galatians that they were running well. And Paul encourages them to keep going. Paul says, you started well. Keep going. Who, who hindered you? Who, who messed you up? You were running well. He actually uses that exact phrase. You were running well. Keep going. So my theme today is receive grace, give grace. It's on the screen. Receive grace, give grace. And I want to read Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. So turn there in your Bibles if you're not there already. Um, please turn there and just stay there because we're going to talk about the passage. What I, what I want you to know by the end of the sermon is the passage. That's what matters the most. And by in, by the end of this Galatians sermon series, which will be, will end in the beginning of or middle May, I want you to know Galatians is so powerful to be able to study and learn the Word of God. The, God has so much to communicate to us, and most of the, it is in the word of God. He can speak apart from the word of God, but he will, never, uh, he will never go against his word. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Let's read. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Verse 4. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other of you, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. That end little verse is very, very, very strong language for the Apostle Paul, and we'll get to that in a minute. You know, this is Galatians 5, 1 through 12, and we are ending the theology section of Galatians. In a few weeks, we'll see how Paul drastically changes to talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Paul talks about circumcision so much in Galatians, what he's really talking about, he's using circumcision to represent the law. To represent the law. You know, just like in verse 2, he says, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, in other words, if you're following the law for salvation, Christ will be of no benefit to you. In verse 3, I'm going to reread verse 3. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. If you want to go the way of the law, you've got to keep the whole law completely. You can't miss a part of it or you won't be saved. So Paul tells them, right here in the beginning, Paul tells them, you were called to freedom. Look back at verse 1. Verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Paul tells them, you were called to freedom. Christ sets you free for freedom. Paul had just finished talking about how we are children of the free woman. We are children of Sarah. In chapter 4, which we looked at last week, the end of chapter 4, Paul contrasted Ishmael versus Isaac. Paul contrasted the child of Sarah versus the child of Hagar. And Paul says, we are children of Sarah. We are children of the free woman. Sarah being the free woman. So Paul says we have been set free for freedom. The New American Commentary shares, if Galatians is the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, then Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 has reason to be considered one of the key verses of this epistle. One of the key verses of this epistle. With the language of freedom and slavery still ringing in their ears from the analogy of Hagar and Sarah, the Galatians are now told by Paul, this is Philip's paraphrase, plant your Feet firmly, therefore, within the freedom that Christ has won for us. And do not let yourselves be caught again in the shackles of slavery. Don't go back to slavery. The law was slavery. The law was slavery. They are set free from Jewish ceremonial laws and regulations, Jewish religious laws and regulations. But just as a note, they're not set free, and none of us are set free from following God's moral law. We need to strive our best with the Holy Spirit empowering us to follow God's moral laws. But we're not saved by that. We're saved by Jesus' grace. We're saved by Jesus' blood atoning for our sins on the cross. Paul gives an application, therefore. Look back at verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, this is the application. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. This is a command. Paul is commanding them, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The law is described as a yoke. A yoke would be used to control animals. I know that from watching Little House on the Prairie. And uh, a yoke would be used to harness animals. And animals are not free. Right? I mean, animals are not free. We put yokes on them, we put harnesses on them, we put them in zoos. Animals are not free. The law is described as a yoke. Here, the yoke figuratively represents the burdensome nature of slavery. The yoke figuratively represents the burdensome nature of slavery. And slavery to the law is what's in, in mind. So we are commanded not to be subject to the law, which would be slavery. A few other cross references. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 32 says, and you will this is Jesus talking. He says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John chapter 8, verse 36, a few verses later, Jesus says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be really free. You're free indeed, depending on your translation. So that's the first part. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And now Paul gives the consequences of the law severed from Christ. The consequences of the law severed from Christ. I'm going to reread verses 2 through 6, because that's what most matters. Let's reread verses 2 through 6. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Verse 4. You have been severed. From Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Faith, working through love, is what matters. And remember, when it talks about um, justification, justified, it means to declare righteous, to declare righteous. So verse 2, Paul specified that he is the one writing this. And then Paul essentially says, if you receive circumcision, in other words, if you follow the law, Christ will be of no benefit for you. Because if you're following the law, you've got to keep the whole law. You can't miss a part of it. Christ is of no benefit for you. If they're trusting in the law for salvation, then Jesus is of no benefit. In verse 3, Paul repeats, If you receive circumcision, you must follow the whole law. Again, what is meant is if you receive circumcision for salvation, you have to follow the whole law. Romans 2.25 would be a cross-reference, which you could look up later. Verse 4, he says, Those who are seeking to be justified or declared righteous by the law have been severed from Christ. It's a strong word. Severed from Christ. Severed. It means to be broken off, abolished, alienated from Christ. Those who are trying to follow the law are severed, broken off, abolished from Christ. The Moody Bible Commentary uh, shares... Well, it believes that that, that alienated is a better word. Those who want to receive circumcision and follow the law have been alienated from Christ. The Greek word for severed means to be separated or to be estranged. The word for fallen means to lose one's grasp on something. Paul's clear meaning is that any attempt to be justified, any attempt to be declared righteous by the law, is to reject salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And why would we do that? Why would we go backwards? Again, Paul said, you were running well. Who inhibited that? Why do you go backwards? We have salvation by faith alone, through grace alone. Why would we go backwards to the law? And that's exactly what they're doing. Paul gives them a strong warning that they are alienated from Christ if they do this. They have fallen from grace, Paul says. They have fallen from grace. Martin Luther, the reformer, interpreted this expression to mean you are no longer in the realm of grace. You are no longer in the realm of grace if you go backwards like that. Martin Luther illustrated it graphically in the following way. He said, for just as someone on a ship is drowned, regardless of the part of the ship from which he falls into the sea, so someone who falls away from grace cannot help but perish. It's like a ship. When a ship sinks and goes down, regardless of the part of the ship you're on, you drown with the ship. And if you're in the law, you drown too. Martin Luther continued, The desire to be justified by the law, therefore, is shipwreck. It is exposure to the surest peril of eternal death. What can be more insane and wicked than to want to lose? Get this. What can be more insane and wicked than to want to lose the grace in favor of God and retain the law of Moses? whose retention makes it necessary for you to accumulate wrath in every other evil for yourself. Martin Luther continues. Now, if those who seek to be justified on the basis of the moral law fall away from grace, where I ask, where those fall who in their self-righteousness seek to be justified on the basis of their traditions and vows. Luther said to the lowest depths of hell because they have to be righteous enough to get to heaven. And none of us can be righteous enough to get to heaven. Paul continues explaining how, and Paul says that they are waiting for the hope of righteousness. They are waiting, for, they are waiting by faith and through the Spirit. In verse 6, Paul says, in Christ what matters is faith working through love. We're going to jump ahead now to verses 7 through 12. In verses 7 through 12, Paul says essentially, you are running well. Pick up where you left off. You were running well. Pick up where you left off. Verse 7, Paul seems to be trying to encourage them. He says, they're running well. They were living the Christian life well. Paul asks, who hindered them? And then he adds detail. Paul says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? That detail is important. They were obeying the truth. They were following the truth. And then they were hindered. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? In verse 8, Paul adds, this did not come from Jesus. It did not come from Jesus. This teaching did not come from Jesus. Verse 9, Paul says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough. A little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough. Lump of dough. (laughs) Paul says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough. Paul will copy and paste that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. In, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, we see a, an issue of church discipline. And Paul uses the same analogy. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Leaven is often used in Scripture to denote sin. Because of its permeating power. Because of its permeating power. So we come to verse 10. In verse 10, Paul encourages them again. Get that. Look at verse 10 once again. Look at it again. He says... I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Notice that Paul has confidence in them, but Paul's confidence in them is in the Lord. And and this is the way it should be for all of us. For all of us. In the Lord, we have an awesome future. But we do not live our Christian life in our own strength. We live our Christian life in the Lord. And we have an awesome future in the Lord. We do not have an awesome future in our sin nature. We do not have an awesome future trying to live the Christian life by our own strength. And we need to stop doing that when we do. Paul is confident that they will adopt no other view besides the correct one. Paul is also saying that the one disturbing them must bear his judgment. So we come to verse 11. In verse 11, Paul says, But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Paul is saying, if he's preaching the law, why is he persecuted? Apparently, Paul has been persecuted and apparently he is accused of preaching the law. But Paul says, if this were the case, the stumbling block of the cross is gone. The stumbling block by which he was persecuted for is preaching salvation by grace alone. Preaching the cross. He was persecuted for preaching the cross. Galatians chapter 6 verse 12 says, Those who want to make a good showing in external matters are trying to force you to be circumcised. They do so only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of christ in verse 12 paul gives a simple yet provocative statement i wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves paul is essentially saying if you're going to believe in the law don't stop at circumcision castrate yourself that's what he says One reference says, the Greek word Paul used for mutilate was often used of castration, such as the cult of Sybil, whose priests were self-made eunuchs. The Moody Bible Commentary shares about this. Paul sarcastically dismissed the legalists as troublers. As with Jesus' command in Mark 9, verses 43 through 45, Paul's words calling for legalists to mutilate themselves were not to be fulfilled literally. Rather, Paul Paul used these words to stir the Galatians, to cut off relations with the legalists. Paul is trying to stir the Galatians to cut off the relations. He's using it to make an uh, impression. Let's apply this before we close. How do we look at this passage and how do we apply it? We are set free. We must know that we are set free by God's grace. We must respond in worship of Christ. When we look at a passage like this and we see that we are saved by the grace of God, I hope we respond in worship of Christ. Whenever we study a doctrine or a theology of the Bible, I hope that encourages us by the great, great, great love of God to worship God. Respond in worship. Since we are saved by God's grace, we must not think we are better than any other Christian. None of us are better than any other Christian none of us none of us can boast or brag about our salvation we are all saved by god's grace that's what ephesians 2 8 9 says we are saved by grace through faith lest no one can boast no one can talk about how great they are how they earned their salvation amazing grace we're going to close the service with amazing grace in a little bit in about an hour or two in amazing grace it says saved a wretch like me I once was blind, but now I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. None of us are better than any other. We're all saved by grace. Since we're saved by God's grace, we must give others grace. We need to receive grace and we need to give grace. We must not be judgmental. This does not mean we do not call out sin, it just means that we must be full of grace and full of truth, as John 114 says. Jesus is and was full of grace and full of truth. We must love and support people even when they fail. This is what grace is. We must not be hypercritical. Some of us have a a, um, critical spirit about us. And we know who we are, (laughs) including myself. We can be the most critical people and just want to cut somebody else off at the knees being critical. But we need to give grace to others as well. Receive grace, give grace to others. We must recognize the strong consequences of living under the law, which is alienation from Christ. That's what this says in verse 4. We must wait expecting Jesus in his future kingdom. That's verse 5. We must continue living for Christ as we started. We must keep the faith. Sometimes a Christian life is described as a run. We see that in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 in Galatians 5, 7, the Christian life described as a run. I, I personally like that. Others probably don't like that. And, and, and you're in luck, although I don't believe in luck, but you're in luck. Other times, the Christian life is described as a walk. We see that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, in Ephesians 4, 1. The point is, we must keep moving in the Christian life. We must keep growing in the Christian life. We must stay the course. We must hold fast. We must, we must not give up. I told you I brought um, an object lesson. I told you about my training for that first marathon. Well, I eventually got there, and I completed the 2013 Cincinnati Flying Pig Marathon. Mercedes is called Flying Pig because of their hog history. Uh, Mercedes looks at these and says, oh, you got medals. And they say, no, they're participation trophies. That's it. It's just because I participated, and I finished. and uh, So I completed that one, and then I completed another one, Flying Pig. And then everybody talked about Pittsburgh so bad, so I went to Pittsburgh and did that, and I haven't done any since. The only reason I share that, though, is I had held myself to a legalistic standard, and I couldn't finish that running route but once. You know how I finished it the one time? One time. Every week I tried to get going and finish it. The one time I finished it, I finished it, Because Megan was in Dayton and couldn't pick me up. (laughs) I was pressured to finish. I had a few people on call that I could call, but I didn't want to have to call them to pick me up, so I just kept running and eventually finished it. Some of us need to be challenged in our walk with Christ, we need challenged. I've been watching a, a show called A Football Life. I find it really interesting. It traces different football players and talks about their history. And I was really interested in seeing the one about Bill Cowher. Because you see Bill Cowher yelling and spitting at the players, because he always did that, as he's telling them. And you see him yelling at these huge linebackers. And he's just yelling at them, saying, your job is to rush the quarterback. That's your job to do. And it motivated the players. It worked for Bill Cowher. It worked for the football players under him. He was motivating them. His motivation was yelling. It works for them. Some of us need challenge today. Some of us need that challenge. Some of us have challenged ourselves too much already. Some of us need more grace. Some of you need the challenge. You need the football coach telling you, your job in Christ is to sack the enemy. Your job in Christ is to be contagious Christian and sack the enemy because when we commit when we uh lead somebody else to the lord it sacks the enemy your job in christ is to sack the enemy some of you have beat yourself up enough already you're already critical on yourself you're already critical on others you need to receive grace and give grace you're giving yourself standards that are not from the holy spirit you're giving yourself standards that are not from the holy spirit Maybe, just maybe, you must lessen the pressure. I told you I did three marathons in the end, and I did them real slow. I'm not bragging about myself at all. I mean, I just barely finished. And, but after the first marathon, I changed the route. I could only complete it once, and that was when my, my call a friend wasn't available. So I changed the route. I did not try to run more than 20 miles once a week in my training. Some of us need to change how we're doing things. You're being too critical on yourself. You're being too hard on yourself. Receive the grace of Christ. Give the grace of Christ to others. Receive the grace of Christ and give the cra- grace of Christ to others. Remember the grace of God. I have um, a little video clip I want to end with, which is a little funny analogy about running. Just go ahead and click it twice. It should start. That's the one marathon. Go ahead. One more. One more. One more. Okay, it takes a second to start. Just pause. There. Go up one more. Is he going to start? It should be the one after the running video slide. I need to get a new remote, apparently. Next slide. There we go. Give me just a second, and then I'll close after this. Close them. We're going to learn yeah. that the on the is to run. school Stumble at times, but I never fall. I have a passion for money I never dreamed of like I might have. I owe a to that guy who freed me from my watch or shackles or whatever you want to call it. Sometimes you wonder what he did with my watch. I do know this. What he did set me free. My name's Wayne. I'm a bride. So in that little video. The watch represents sin. Have you received the grace of Christ and let Jesus take away your sin? Have you received the amazing grace of Christ? Is there anything that you need to repent of today and to give over to Jesus? Receive grace and give grace. Let's close in prayer. Dearly Father, I thank you for your great, great grace through Christ our Savior and Lord. I thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross and taking our sin upon you and giving us your grace. That we are freely forgiven, freely saved, freely set free. Lord God, if there's anyone here today who has not surrendered their life to you, I ask that today will be the day of salvation. May today be the day where they confess they're a sinner in need of a savior, believe in you as the only savior, trust in you and commit to you. Lord God, we need your help living for you every day. We need every single day to give you ourself, really. To let you wash away our sin and repent. Holy Spirit, I would ask you convict us all what we need to repent of. Convict us in a powerful, strong way so that there is no way we can but repent and turn to you. Help us following you, Jesus. We need your help. Help us receiving grace and giving grace to others. As it's in Jesus' name, amen.